This reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, probably about half of us are online at the moment as well. I uh, see the names coming through the, the chat there. Uh, good to see all of you as well. I'll try and remember to look a little bit more at the video camera today <laughs> um, rather than just the people in the room. Uh, let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to his word. Good news for us this morning. Thank you, Father, that Uh, We have such um, ready and easy access to the Word of God and the Scriptures this morning. Uh, We don't take that lightly. We don't take that for granted, Father. We thank you that um, uh, in these words this morning, you have something to say to us personally, a rhema word uh, from your Logos word. And we, we, so we open our our minds and hearts to uh, wisdom that comes from the Spirit this morning, not just human wisdom. And ask that you would remove any barriers in our mind and in our heart, in our lives, uh, that would stop us from receiving um, a word from you, that we might be obedient to you. And the words of my mouth, meditations, reflections of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, our foundation and our rock. Amen. 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 So we are in a series in 1 Corinthians, a letter written by Paul to the church in Corinth, and uh, we've, we've reflected on parts of chapters 1, 2, and 3 so far. Chapter 1 is this intro, to, and he's talking about this, uh, the fact that the gospel is, is not just wisdom, it's something different, it's not just human wisdom uh, from wise sages and philosophers, which was kind of a, a lot of what was going on in the, the context, the Hellenistic or Greek culture of the time. Um, It's more than that. And uh, in chapter 2, he continues in this wisdom theme uh, where uh, he talks about how it's the Spirit of God who gives true wisdom, not just um, human understanding, and uh, how the Spirit um, gives us the mind of Christ. And then chapter 3 returns to how their behavior reflects their reception of the gospel or their lack of reception of the gospel. Um, and he says things like, you're, you're acting like mere humans. 
we are humans, we're acting like mere humans, but there's, there's something more when we follow Jesus. Some say, I follow Paul, others say, I follow Apollos. He comes back to that, which we started to hear about in chapter 1. They're seeking after different human leaders as they're the wise people of their time. But while we all labor in different ways, the foundation is always Jesus. And Paul says, I've laid that foundation, Jesus, and you yourselves are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells in your midst. And so he's making this point that the presence of God's spirit, evidenced in their behavior, other than human and worldly behavior, makes the church an alternate temple to the others around, the other temples around their culture. Gospel people, not just Greeks or not just, in our case, Aussies, were to be shaped differently. Gospel people. Um, I love what Annalise taught us last Sunday. The word for servant that Paul uses in chapter 3 is hyperitas, which just literally means an under rower, someone who reports to uh, the person above him, and we report to God. We're advancing God's agenda, not our own. Unfortunately, the Christians in Corinth uh, either didn't get this, or if they did, they had a false view of what it looked like to advance God's agenda. They saw themselves as, and these are the words Paul uses, rich ruling and reigning, so wise, strong, honored. And Paul has to use a little sarcasm or just sort of irony to make the point that this isn't maturity in Christ. This isn't shaped, uh, people who are shaped by Jesus and by his good news. So he says, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. And you hear this kind of almost sarcasm in there you are honored we are dishonored to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty we're in rags we're brutally treated we're homeless what's really interesting about this uh, as you, you you read up about it is that even in their hellenistic culture the greek culture um, a sage would be considered to become wise and respected and honored through the trials through the persecutions, even through battling poverty, which means Paul is getting a bit pointed here. He's saying, look, guys, even by your own cultural standards, you don't match up to your own claim for greatness. Even your wise sages are, you know, say they are wise and great and ruling and reigning because they've gone through stuff. And, and even more so when we look at Christ. When greatness, according to Christ, was to serve, to suffer, greatness, according to Christ, was even to, to die for the other. Um, and I think it's worth pinching ourselves from time to time and remembering that Christ's example to us is still so countercultural. It's so otherworldly. The greatest among you must be a servant, Jesus said. Even my reading this morning was that the first will be last, the last will be first. When Paul comes to him, and uh, sorry, not Paul, Peter comes uh, to him and Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? And you're the Messiah. And then he turns around, no, Jesus, you won't die and you won't suffer like that. I rebuke that. And Jesus has to put him in his place saying, you're thinking as a human being thinks you don't have in mind the things of God. In the kingdom economy, your value does not come from your status, your wealth, your knowledge, how well you do. And so in a place like Perth, of course, we must be, um, need to pinch ourselves and, and, and be so careful that we don't begin to think so much of ourselves because of what we've been born into that God has to humble us. Jesus said that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Uh, but Paul goes on to say, I'm not writing this to shame you. He's not just saying, you guys have just missed it and I'm just putting you in your... He's saying, I'm writing this to warn you as my dear children. Not to shame you, to warn you as my dear children. Remember, one of the issues that Paul's dealing with in um, 1 Corinthians is that his authority has been questioned. His, his uh, rights to being a leader and a respected figure and voice in their lives, they, they're questioning that, saying, well, we've got Apollos now because he came in with wiser words. And so Paul was having to build back up his right to speak into their lives, his authority. But it's a, and he's, so he's calling, by calling them children, he's making it very clear. Look, you haven't grown up yet. You have learning to do. But it's also a distinct kind of authority that he's uh, trying to reinstate. He's not establishing himself as the, the newest wise sage or the wisest, wisest of the wise people with, with teaching that earns him that prime status. He's, he's saying, I'm a father to you. Now, what does that mean? So I want us to um, forget for a minute and put, put aside for a second what comes to mind when you think of a father-son relationship or a parent-child, a mother-daughter relationship. Um, because this was the first century. 2,000 years have passed, and of course there's many um, things about parenting that haven't changed in that time, but there's uh, uh, lots about family life and everything surrounding it in that time that is quite different to the culture we live in now. And so when we think father-son, we think of a certain kind of way of, of relating with one another and what that all looks like from age zero through to adulthood, which is not the same as back then. There's similarity, there's things that are the same and there's things that aren't. Um, so what did this mean when Paul said, you, I need, I've become your father and if I feel like children? The next verse gives us a hint. So let's, let's uh, focus in on this today. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ... You do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Okay, so the word uh, there translated as guardian, uh, say it with me. It's pedagogos. Pedagogos. Okay. This was essentially a live-in tutor. The family would hire the, the pedagogos uh, for their children to come and live in their family, in their household, um, or oikos, the word for like household, and they lived with them and tutored the children in all the basics, reading and writing and arithmetic. So think your primary school teacher, but they live in and they focus just on your children. At around age 12, the kids would then go through a kind of coming-of-age ritual. So they, they, they were 12 years old. Up until this point, the pedagogos had been teaching them and training them in all the basics. And at age 12, this coming-of-age ritual, they were, in a very like a public ceremony, handed over from the pedagogos, the guardian, to their parents, the girls to their mothers, the boys to their fathers, to sort of stand at the shoulders now and learn the family trade or the family business. So the girls at age 12, there would be this public coming of age handed from the pedagogos to the mother, 
and the mother's job was managing the oikos, the household. Now, this was no small task. It meant managing all the finances and understanding the economic uh, strict systems and structures and the educational process and dealing with sickness and the hospitality and keeping the house in order. All that surrounded the household was the, the mother's role. And the girls would come alongside their mother and begin to learn. They stood beside them from age 12 on, would discover how all the information that she had learned from her pedagogos up to age 12, was now lived out in everyday life. And she walked wherever her mother walked now, imitating her, as her mother imitated her grandmother before her. Same for the boys. If dad was a builder, or if dad was a fisherman, or a farmer, the boys now stood beside them and learnt through imitation how to do what they did. So that's the context, the difference between a, a guardian, a pedagogos, and a father. So when Paul says you have many tutors, pedagogos, but not many fathers. What's he saying? He's saying there's lots of people around who can give you the right information, can teach you principles, but what you really need to grow in the fullness of life in Christ is someone like a parent who will invite you into their life, give you access to their life, shoulder to shoulder, so you can imitate the way of Christ that they show you. Now, I wonder what would Paul have said to us in 21st century, uh, a Western nation in the 21st century? Well, we literally have 10,000 pedagogos, tutors at any point in time. I can access teaching on almost any subject, spiritual or not, by clicking a few buttons on my phone or my iPad and just learning about it. I could listen to more than 10,000 different sermons from home on my couch this morning. Maybe some of you at home have got another church online site pulled up at the same time as Billabong. You can choose which one's best. No, don't do that. Um, right? There are pastors and teachers and, and preachers and, and theologians and apologists that produce much higher quality content on 1 Corinthians than I do, and all of it's available at the click of, a, uh, of a, uh, on a computer or iPad or whatever. Um, I mean, I could give you a list of all of the different ones that I listen to on a regular or semi-regular basis. Um, but how many fathers do we have? Someone who, who gives you access to their life, allows you to observe closely how they walk with Jesus and imitate them in this. I, I appreciate the teachers that I, I learn principles from, but ultimately it's the handful, the small handful of, of men and couples that I and Karen respectively walk with, the, the people in our lives who we meet with regularly, that are our fathers and mothers in the faith, that impact our discipleship to Jesus far more than a tutor or a teacher or a preacher or whatever the case may be. This is what we need. And I think it's as true in our society in our day and age as it was for them back then. Let's back up for a second and, and, and ask this question. Is Paul developing some new model for Christianity here? Right now, Jesus has ascended. You know, is it like, well, we need some more guidance now because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and we need a model for how to live out the Christian faith now that he's gone? Is that what's happening or is this consistent with what Jesus modeled and taught himself? We get a sense of the answer. Jesus was to his followers a rabbi, right? 
He, that, that's what they would have called him, teacher, uh, I forget the word now, but they, they were mathetes, disciples. That he was their rabbi, they followed him as disciples. Common thing in that context, in that Jewish context, a rabbi, disciples. To be a disciple was to have access to the life of the rabbi, learning his trade, observing what he did day in, day out, in order to become like your rabbi and eventually to do what he did. Be with him all the time to become more like him, and then as he commissions you to go and do the same kind of thing. What we read in the Gospels is both snippets of what Jesus taught his disciples in um, words, in parables, in teachings, in principles, how to pray, practical advice. Uh, we might call that information. But then we also in the Gospels see a glimpse of the life he shared with them so they could do imitation. This is what was happening in the rabbi-disciple relationship. They saw how he divided his time. They saw how he, who he prioritized, what he got angry about, and what he let slide. Uh, and then right before he ascended into heaven, he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Paul, of course, who wasn't around when, uh, uh, as a disciple of Jesus when Jesus, before Jesus died and rose, Paul is one of the them in that passage, that he's come, on, he's come later into the scene, has had a revelation that Jesus is God, learns from some of those original disciples of Jesus, and then goes out to make disciples himself and does a pretty good job of it but there's a problem when paul hits places like corinth what do, what do you think the problem is if we're talking about rabbi disciple this is what we're going to do this is what jesus said go and make disciples in corinth they aren't jewish so if if i walked up to someone in corinth and said right you need to be a disciple of jesus they'd say a what what's that mean they have no con and they might know the concept, but they wouldn't have seen it. They wouldn't have learnt it. They wouldn't really know what it truly meant to be a disciple. And so he needs to innovate. And how does Paul do that? He finds new language. He needs to find language in the Hellenistic culture, the non-Jewish culture, that that communicates the concept. To them in an adequate way and the language of parent and child fits perfectly are you with me you need fathers you need mothers not tutors pedagogos fathers mothers some teachings of Je some teachings of jesus same sorry same teachings of jesus same jesus he's modeling his life after and saying imitate me as i imitate christ but he's adapting to the circumstance not talking about rabbi-disciple when they wouldn't fully grasp that concept. And so what do we do with this? We, we, we probably have to mix this together, and you could find other terminology, but really, uh, like apprenticeship, for example. But really, we need to take what we see here and go, how do we live this out, whether we have the language for it or not? We, 
I think what we do with this is we rethink our engagement with the church and what engagement with the church is really about. Rather than looking for another pedagogos, another, someone who's a tutor, a teacher, we, we look for and ourselves become like spiritual parents. Uh, we choose to walk with others. We choose to participate no, and we choose to stand beside, stand shoulder to shoulder with others rather than just looking to a, a tutor. And it becomes our primary focus of life, this change in how we engage with the church. Um, just to illustrate this, uh, Micah, my oldest, um, he's got a snotty nose this morning, so uh, Karen and Micah and Josiah are at home. But Micah is um, in kindy right now. Kindy is, uh, on average, 15 hours per week, right? They do like a five-day fortnight, so it's about 15 hours of kindy per week. And I did the calculation. That's about 16% of daylight hours for him. If you factor in sleep from 7.30 to 6.30, yeah, sometimes, um, then his kindy time is about eight, 16% of daylight hours. That's it. Um, the other 84% of his time is spent playing even if it's at dinner time. <laughs> Next year at pre-primary, school time will double, and that will still only make up about 30% of his time that he's awake all week at, in the classroom learning. Um, I wonder if we approach engagement with the church a little like this sometimes. We come on Sunday, we serve in some way, maybe we participate in a life group, maybe we even intentionally meet with someone to, to read the Bible and pray, but then the other 84 80, 70, whatever percent of our time is, is simply getting on with the rest of our life. It's like there's a compartment here and then the rest is everything else. But if we think about this coming of age ritual in the life of a child at age 12, stepping into the family trade alongside parents means our life is now consumed with this work. We've learned the basics. We've learned the principles from the tutor. Now it's time to apply it. And of course, moving from childhood to adulthood, they didn't have such thing as teenagers in that time. It was like, you're 12, now you're an adult. Now you're a big kid. Moving from childhood to adulthood meant leaving behind a whole lot of freedom. There's, no, there's now no longer 84% of the week to just do what, what you like. Now you're in the family business, and that's a full-time occupation. Growing in Christ-likeness will involve the same. There's a whole lot of sacrifice, and most significantly, a sacrifice of time, because it's the most precious commodity. Paul, Paul says the Corinthians need fathers, plural, which means many, if not all, Christians need to move from being spiritual children to spiritual parents, from disciples to disciple makers. Uh, but maybe that's overwhelming. Let's, let's just step through the 12-year-old coming-of-age barrier first, spiritually speaking. Uh, maybe you feel overwhelmed by, by the ways you could give, give your time and your attention and your energy uh, to serve others. You know, I can't, I'm not a leader. I couldn't lead a, a life group. I couldn't preach. I couldn't um, uh, do those things. I, I'm, not, I'm not a leader. And, and it, maybe that feeling just immobilizes you. Well, I'm not a, I couldn't be a spiritual parent to someone else. Well, what, what could you do? What can you do? What are you able to contribute? Maybe you can just be in a group and just by your presence, you may say something that someone else really needs. 
or be a shoulder that somebody else needs to rest on or cry on when the leader is busy caring for someone else. Maybe you already participate and, and you're like, oh, well, I can do that much. I'm not a leader, but I, maybe you're starting to realize, I actually maybe have a little more to give. Maybe you could open your home. Maybe you could partner with a leader to provide hospitality needed. Or maybe let's, let's think about investing in the next generation. You feel a call there, but you're like, I don't know how to disciple kids. I don't know how to help their parents in the discipleship journey as part of the kids team here or something like that. But you can show up. You, you can just be there and observe what the others are doing and go, hey, maybe could I help in this area? Maybe you have greater potential in you than you know. In fact, I'm convinced that we all do. Maybe as you show up to something structured, bearing in mind the structured thing is really just something to, to provide a space to allow the organic and relational to, to flow out from there. Maybe as you show up to something structured, a program we run, a group, there's an individual you notice needs some personal attention needs someone to walk with them. And you go, well, I don't know, I can't, I can't lead something, but maybe I can do that. Maybe I can just touch base with them. Maybe I can meet up with them on a regular basis. And it's not, and you might feel, no, it's not easy. You don't feel like you're qualified. But God gives you the wisdom. God gives us the wisdom to become, in some sense, a spiritual mother or father, or to put it another way, a disciple maker. I think the reason it's so powerful uh, when we make choices like this, when we make choices to invest our, our time in relationships and be willing to step out in faith and, and maybe even walk towards discipling others is because being a spiritual parent or a disciple maker, to put it in the, that Jewish terminology, uh, isn't about, let me show you how to live. That's, that's not the cry of a, of a disciple maker. Let me show you how to live. Paul says, in Christ, uh, Paul says this, In Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Or in another place, he says, Imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. And so this is not about let me show you how to live. It's this, let me show you what God is like. And how Jesus lived. And there's a huge difference because what's needed for this kind of approach and what makes this kind of approach possible for ordinary and flawed people like you and I is that this approach forces us to live as disciples of Jesus ourselves and to be fathered by God ourselves to submit to our Heavenly Father's authority. To spiritually parent others, we must come under God's fathering or mothering. To, decide, to make disciples, we must be disciples of Jesus. Um, this mission statement that we have, which uh, fully done out is be disciples and make disciples, is not linear, it's circular. Being disciples and making disciples of Jesus are two sides of the same coin. One spurs on the other. One produces the other. As we go to make disciples, we, must, we are drawn more into discipleship to Jesus ourselves. And as we are disciples of Jesus, it leads us to make disciples. It's a circular thing. A life that imitates Christ is imitable to others. And a life that, can imitate, uh, that others can imitate must keep imitating Christ. Let me say that again. Get it right. A life that imitates Christ is imitable to others. And a life that others can imitate 
must keep imitating Christ. Um, anybody like the musical Hamilton? Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Disney Plus, it's sort of taken the world by storm a bit. Um, my favorite line from my favorite song in that movie uh, called uh, Wait For It um, uh, goes like this I am inimitable, as in cannot be imitated, I am an original. Um, I, I love the way that's sung in that song it's, it's, uh, and just the way that the words flow. I wanted to get it on a t shirt, yeah. However, <laughs> this line is the problem of pride. It's, this is the anti-gospel. It's, it's where we're happy to take half of the gospel that says, I'm an original, I'm unique, I'm special, I'm loved by God, but then not live in a way that others can emulate, imitate, and copy. You do you. Anyone heard that phrase? That is not the gospel. You do you is not the gospel. You do Jesus is what's needed. This is what gospel people are. And Paul says, for this reason, it's the last verse from our reading today, I have sent to you, Timothy, my son, whom I love. And we know from other places that uh, um, Paul discipled Timothy. My son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And so the teaching, the knowledge, the principles, it's not of no importance. Is that I teach and this matches up. But the teaching, the information is empty without the observable way of life, the imitation. And this is why Jesus preached a few sermons to thousands, but ultimately spent most of his time with 12, as the Greek puts it, grammatose idiotes, unschooled, ordinary men, allowing them to see the way of life he wanted them to live. Now, maybe you've been listening today and going, okay, that's all very well, Luke, but, but I, I, don't, I don't know many people who look that much like Jesus in a way I think I could really learn. I mean, it's not quite the same now. Who am I supposed to be parented by or discipled by? And that's a fair question. We don't have the luxury of having Jesus or even Paul willing to take us under his wing and teach us the trade. None of us are, we're all a little bit like Jesus, but we've got a long way to go. But this was never the long-term strategy for Jesus or Paul, that there were super, you know, super disciple makers who we could follow. The strategy long-term was a, a, a family of spirit-filled people, each choosing to both be discipled and disciple others by giving themselves completely to one another, opening their lives to one another, and opening their lives to those yet to join God's family. And the way Paul puts this is that we become the temple of God. The temple of God built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if you're one brick in that temple, if I'm one brick in that temple, where are you and I right now? playing your part in, in strengthening the whole as one of those bricks. It doesn't just help the whole structure. It means you're where you're meant to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no other human temple that you're designed to fit into. No other. And so can I urge you, give yourself fully to the family of God, the church. I've been... Uh, I'm ashamed to say I've been so hesitant for the last eight years to, you know, in, in calling people to give themselves fully to 
the church, Jesus' bride. He's like, oh, we're busy. Maybe you could just serve a little bit in this area. Oh, I know you've got a lot. This is the greatest privilege we have, and it's what we're meant to be part of. Give yourself fully to the, greater, to, the, to the family of God, the church. Don't hold back in any area. Invest your time. Invest your energy. Invest even your money into that which will not last for 20 years or 50 years or 100 years even, but for eternity. And do this by choosing to become more like Jesus and helping others to do the same as you live accessible, imitable lives. Amen? Let's pray, and as I've said that we will do each week, uh, have an opportunity just to respond to the good news um, in our our words, in our prayers, um, that we commit ourselves once again afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Um, Thank you for the encouragement that when we we choose to commit ourselves to one, one another, we're where we're meant to be, but also for the challenge, the great challenge, Lord, to sacrifice to give up the things that are not eternal in order to invest in that which is eternal, the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that uh, as we, we worship and we sing now, you would continue to speak to us. You would continue to stir us and challenge us as to what you would have us do. Um, but Father, we know that this starts by responding to the good news, responding to the good news that you have made a place for us, you have a purpose for us, and this purpose is one um, that, is, that is full of joy and excitement. It is full of uh, uh, wonderful adventure, <laughs> but it's countercultural. Lord, that to give up our lives, to give up everything we previously thought was of worth and value means that we will... We will lose that life, but we will gain something far more precious. Life abundant and eternal. With you joined together to your people, with you as the head. And so we thank you that you have welcomed us freely into this this temple. To be made into the temple of the living God, even though we're unworthy to house your presence. That by the blood of Jesus, you have washed away all of our sins if we would simply turn to you and ask your forgiveness and ask you to make us whole and new again. And so, Father, we choose now as we pray to ask for your forgiveness for where we've messed up, both things past, things we're engaged in at present which don't honor you, and things in the future we haven't yet recognized. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, we freely receive the gift of new life that you offer to us. We choose to receive now your Holy Spirit who comes to fill us and empower us and renew us and change our mind, our thinking that we would have the mind of Christ. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill us again. Empower us to live this life you've called us to live. Thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins, made us new and whole, and filled us with your spirit to live as Jesus in this world. So as we continue to pray this morning, if you're 
online and you've not made that commitment to Jesus before, we'd like you just to type it in the chat, say, I choose to follow Jesus or I choose to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, or if you're in the room, just pop your hand up. If you've not made that decision before, I'd love to pray for you, with you. And Lord, for those of us who have been walking with you for some time, show us what's next in the journey. Show us how to continue to live in obedience to you, to continue to put to death the things in our life which aren't of you that won't last for eternity. And to step into the life you have for us. In Jesus' name.